John chapter 9. Before we read that, let me read one verse in Romans chapter 11. In verse 33, Paul said, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but the works of God should be manifest in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this morning for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for these hymns and the Psalms, which I pray has tuned our heart not only to sing your praise, but to humbly receive with meekness your engrafted word into our hearts. Lord, we lift you up this morning, not only in our hearts and our minds, but in our worship and in our praise. You are greatly to be praised. And we thank you, dear God, for who you are and what you are. We thank you for revealing yourself to us through Christ Jesus. And Father, there are yet many, many things that we know not concerning the truths of God. Lord, we're constantly learning. We're constantly growing in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us this morning, I pray, dear God, to grow even more. Grant us enlightenment and understanding, and in doing so, may we be humbled and not lifted up with pride. Lord, may our adoration for you be greater, and may our love for you and your salvation and for your only begotten Son be ever more vehement and fervent. Lord, we pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all that we say and do this day. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You know, too often we approach the truths of God with little or no serious consideration of our own limited and finite understanding in the light of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. Not to mention his often unsearchable judgments and his ways which are past finding out. For though Paul would declare that there are riches in both the wisdom and knowledge of God, yet he said there is a depth to them which is far greater than our own understanding. Oh, the depth of the riches. And in that same context, he would remind us that his judgments are unsearchable. And his ways past finding out. 
we do God great dishonor when we do not exalt Him in our hearts and our minds and hold Him in great esteem for His judgments and His wisdom and His knowledge and His ways. Whether we comprehend everything that He does or understand His often dark providences, we still, as God's children, must learn to humbly give Him praise and adoration and worship Him in spirit and truth. Paul's exhortation is not intended to discourage nor to dishearten us in our search for such spiritual riches and their debts, but to keep our hearts and our minds humble in every attempt we make to know them more fully. There is a riches, there are riches, the depths of which we know nothing of, of God's wisdom and knowledge that we have yet to learn. And it's through such humility and meekness that God grants us those riches. The psalmist said, it is the meek, it's the meek, submissive will to whatever God says or does to every commandment without constraint, without uh, questioning. It is the meek that he will guide in judgment. And the meek will he teach his way. And beloved, his guiding of the meek in judgment and his teaching of the meek in his way is an ever and ongoing process in this present life which we live. We never cease to need, have need of being guided in his judgment nor guided or taught in his way. In this present life, it's an ever ongoing need that we have until he shall appear, as First John says, until he shall appear and we will know him as he is. It's ever ongoing, so as it is in our text. Because we've approached a text this morning which demands our greatest humility and our greatest attention because it has often confounded even the greatest of saints while arousing in the most, or in the uh, wicked, the most vehement anger and hatred, namely the sovereign, unchanging providence of God towards both saints and sinners. Listen to the words of Christ in verse 3. When the disciples ask him, Master, who did sin? Verse 2, this man or his servant or his parents, that he was born blind, Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. The disciples, as well as the Pharisees in verse 34 of this chapter, said he was born in sin. The disciples, as well as the Pharisees, would attribute this man's being born blind to his or his parents' sinning. Which was not uncommon. It was not uncommon belief in the days of Christ, as well as throughout the Old Testament. Afflictions and sufferings were evidence of one's sinning and God's displeasure toward them, according to the Old Testament. Thus, Job's three friends were so adamant in judging Job. 
in the Old Testament, the evidence of God's blessing upon you was that you would have health, you would be rich, you would be wise, you would be astute, all those things. Outward prosperity and wealth and health was a sign of God's pleasure. And if you had sufferings and afflictions, it was a sign that God was displeased with you or that you were sinning. And so it was not uncommon for the disciples to look at this man who was born blind to say, somebody has sinned here. Yet Christ would do something amazing for that day and age. He would immediately declare that his being blind from birth was not due to his sinning, nor of his parents, but his blindness was a divinely appointed work of God. That the works of God should be manifest in him. Now this was totally contrary to what the disciples ever believed in. And so is it, I want to get too far ahead of myself, and so is it often in God's providences. We tend, like the disciples, to read God's providences incorrectly from our finite, limited understanding and say, surely this cannot be of God, this is some other reason. No, Christ said, this is of God. Now we look at that and say, how can this be of God? It was surely a a poor thing to be born blind. I mean, imagine he had to beg like all other beggars on the side of the street. He'd had a mother and a father, but certainly he had to beg for his keeping. It wasn't an easy life for a blind man in the days of Christ. So it's only understandable in the light of the disciples, in the mind of the disciples, that this couldn't be of God. It has to be because someone has sinned. This is a marvelous thing. And therefore, that's why I said we need to approach this subject this morning with great humility and caution, because we too are like the disciples, often quick to discern God's providences as being something else than what it truly is. This statement here in verse 3 proves the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, and just how unsearchable His judgments are and His ways past finding out. We seem to forget that as God's people. I want to look at this text this morning in two very distinct directions. The first one in regards to the blind man himself. And second, in regards to the affairs of all mankind, the sovereign providence of God. I want you to really listen to me, because like we mentioned last week in our conversation on our fellowship, Christians are instructed through the preaching of God's Word not only how to minister and preach the gospel, but also how to explain the reason of the hope that lieth within them. And this is a great mystery in this text, one which we have great need of understanding more clearly if we're ever going to be able to find comfort in God's seemingly dark providences in our own life and also in being able to tell others who are suffering under situations in life that we can define to them as well that God is still sovereign and His providences are unchanging and there's a purpose in everything that God does. You see, He still is the Creator. He still is God. Nothing goes by God unseen unnoticed. Everything is known of God. Everything. And even those things that appear to be troublesome 
even tragic are of God. So I want us to understand that first and foremost. But first of all, in regards to this one blind man from birth, I want you to I want you to notice, I want you to see God's providence in regards to this blind man, which I hope and pray would be a great comfort to every child of God this morning. He doesn't declare, declare Christ doesn't declare that all men who are blind from birth were divinely appointed to manifest the works of God in them. He says only this man. Listen to me. There were many blind men in the days of Christ. But it says, as Christ passed by, he saw a man, a man, which was blind from his birth. Christ doesn't say all men born blind were born so that God might manifest his works. He speaks to this one man. Are you following me in thought as a Christian concerning your salvation? All men are blind by sin. All men are dead in sins. We're born that way, like he was born. Yet not all men are made to see. Only this man. Surely, like I said, there were many blind men in the days of Christ. But it was divinely appointed from his birth that in this one man the works of God should be made manifest. Keep that in mind as we follow this text, because herein is the sovereign mercy and grace of God gloriously revealed. Sovereign, and I don't use that word lightly, many of us do nowadays, sovereign because God's mercy and grace, listen to me, God's mercy and grace is not dispersed or scattered indiscriminately or aimlessly for sinful men to simply trample upon. God doesn't spread a blanket of mercy over all the world for sinful man to discriminate and trample upon. But God's mercy and grace is sovereignly appointed and imparted according to his divine will and purpose. We see this in this man. It's sovereignly according to God's divine will and purpose, pointed and imparted. God doesn't just throw it out there. Why do I say that? Because there's a lot of people today, especially those who believe in the Arminian doctrine, a lot of people believe that God shows mercy to all man, and then man can do with it what he wants to. Read Scripture. God does not disperse his mercy like that. Never has and never will. He does not do that. He appoints it and imparts it according to his divine purpose and will, and he does it sovereignly. Otherwise, no man, woman, or child would ever be saved in this world. He saw a man which was blind from his, verse, from his birth. He saw a man, one blind man, passing through your life as a sinner before salvation. Many were blind by sin, Christ passed by and saw one man, one woman, one child, and God sovereignly appointed and imparted his grace and mercy to one, to you and I. If you're saved this morning, that is why it happened. It was sovereignly imparted unto us by God's grace. Paul says in Romans 9, when he said, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy. 
that he might make known. Listen to the words of Paul, that he might make known, it might manifest. The works of God might be manifested in him, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Now, we could probably stop right there and go home and spend the rest of the week glorifying and adoring God for that one verse which he had afore prepared unto glory. This man was born blind from birth because God had afore prepared him unto glory so that when the time would come, Christ would pass by, see this man, and say, now the works of God shall be manifested. That was all hid to everyone, even the disciples, except Christ. When the day came, Christ revealed that to the disciples and all others. This day, salvation is coming to this man that the works of God might be manifested because God had before prepared unto glory that the works of God should be made manifest in him. You know, sometimes I, I believe we don't really take to heart or sometimes we, like church at Laodicea or a church at Ephesus, lose our first love. Sometimes we, we lose the impressions of God's sovereign grace upon our own lives that it was something that God suffered and imparted unto us as sinners. God gave it to us like this blind man. He's given us this mercy and this grace. He severally imparted it. He passed by. He saw us. And he called us out of his mercy and grace to manifest the works of God in us. And sometimes we seem to forget the beauty and glory and majesty of that. That the works of God should be made manifest in him. His blindness was no different than all the others who were blind. His blindness did not make him special or deserving of God's grace. But God would sovereignly make manifest in him his works. Have you ever considered God's providence? not only in creation and in our lives as Christians, we do that quite often, but have you ever considered God's sovereign providence in your salvation, in your election? That God providentially manipulated things around you and I, circumstances and events in our lives to lead us to the point to where we, like this blind man, would be made to see by grace, by Christ's grace and mercy. Have you ever considered God's providence in your life leading up to your salvation. Oftentimes, I look back to the events in my life leading up to my salvation, and it's amazing now that I'm a Christian, I can look back and see those things. And I can literally, and I'm sure you too, literally see the hand of God in my life before I was even saved. You say, well, that's impossible. No, it's not. Again, we'll look at that later. This man was made uh, was given his sight, but still didn't know exactly who Christ was until Christ revealed himself to him. So he had some sight. He could see, but not spiritually yet. And when you look back over your life before salvation, and you see how God providentially changed and moved and manipulated circumstances and events to bring you into Christ, it's an amazing comfort. It, as a matter of fact, it attributes to our assurance of salvation. 
that it wasn't simply by coincidence. I just didn't simply pop into a church, hear a message, and accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. No, this was something that God had afore prepared. This man's entire life, now we don't know how old he was, but certainly he was an old enough man to... Um, to speak for himself, his parents said, he's old enough, let him speak. So we don't know his exact age, but certainly he was either in his latter teens or early 20s, if not older than that. So this man had lived many years as a blind man. He lived the life of a beggar. Always needing assistance to help him along. Always needing someone to guide him. This was no easy life. And yet, God providentially ordained from the foundation of the world, from his birth, that he be blind, that one day Christ pass by and see him and grant him sight. But he let him, he allowed him to live so many years in blindness. Well, we could take this so much further when we're considering God's providences in our lives. We get so discouraged and disheartened when it appears as though God's providences are against us and things aren't going our way and troubles in our pathway. and We tend to lose sight of that. We sang in one of those hymns talking about it doesn't matter how things go. God shall one day make things clear. God shall one those things that appear now to be dark, God shall one day make clear. The saints of God rest in God's providence even when they can't see or understand exactly what His providence is doing. They rest in the providence of God. How do you think we know that all things work together for our good? Well, the depths of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. What the disciples considered to be because of sin, Christ said, no, you're misunderstanding the providence of God. This was God's divine appointment. This was God's divine doing. This was all in God's hand. We, we, as Christians, we ought to be really careful and cautious when it comes to <clears throat> difficult situations, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others, especially believers. Because you never know what God's providence is doing. You never know what God has for their life. We're always wanting to solve the problem immediately, which is not wrong of itself. But what if God does not want it to be solved at the moment? What if God, out of some reason known unto himself, his judgments are unsearchable, his ways past finding out, what if God, for some reason known unto himself, that God allows this, wants this, to continue as it is. What if that's God's will? We then need to find rest in the providence of God. As dark and mysterious as they often appear to be, we need to find rest that God is good and merciful and kind. And everything he does, he does for us, for our good, even though at the moment uh, it doesn't appear to be so. Who sinned? This man or his parents? Lord said, no. <laughs> Neither he or his parents. This was divinely ordained of God. That really blew their minds as well as those 
people around them because that was something totally contrary to what they were taught throughout the Old Testament. Surely such tragedy, such a painful thing, such a horrific thing could not be in God's divine will. Which leads us to the second point I want to bring about God's divine and sovereign providence. And that's in God intervening in the affairs of all mankind as he so pleases. Now you really want to pay attention this morning because I want to be very cautious when I approach this subject because it is very sensitive and it's one which Christians have a hard time explaining to those that are non-Christians because they have a hard time understanding that because they're not Christians. But regardless of that fact, this man being blind from his birth was no accident. Nor because he or his parents ascended is where he said, but was sovereignly and providentially ordained by God. In this divine truth, dearly beloved, like I said, we've got to exercise the greatest humility and caution. For as the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, Deuteronomy 29, but those things which are revealed belong unto us. So too concerning his sovereign providence in the affairs of mankind. For, beloved, even the disciples were at first blind to God's divine providence concerning this blind man until the Lord revealed it to him, to them. They didn't know. So I want you to understand that. It's very important that we understand that. Why is that? Because sinful man, sinful man would always exclude God's divine providence in the affairs of man. Sinful man will not accept that. They cannot accept that. If everything is going good in their life, if everything is going good and well in their life, they're content with whatever God might do or be. But let tragedy strike their lives and suddenly God is to blame. It's His fault. Man has a hatred for God's divine providence intervening in man's kind's affairs. You can do what you want to in heaven. You can do what you want with your so-called children, but keep your divine providence out of my affairs. I will not accept them. I will not condone them, they think. And it doesn't matter to God. He's still God. And this is what's hard for the Christian to be able to explain to those who are suffering hardships and trials in the world when it comes down to tragedies in their life, trying to explain to them that He's still God and He is a God of providence. Things happen. We can argue it, we can try to excuse God's reasons for doing things, but it boils down to Him being God and Him doing what He chooses to do. Or what He allows to happen. And sinful man hates that about God. Especially if it goes against everything they want, desire, love, or cherish. When God's divine and sovereign providence appears to be dark and confusing, be it this blind man from birth, it's a hard life, or even like the death of a friend called Lazarus. 
one was providentially ordained to manifest the works of God, the other for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Both of those tragedies, seemingly tragedies, both of those were ordained by God to manifest, manifest the works of God or to glorify Christ. But they were both ordained of God. We have a hard time seeing that. We do not have the spiritual sensitivity or enlightenment sometimes to understand that or see that because the tragedy or darkness or sorrow covers our eyes that we don't see it. Even Martha said, if you'd have been here, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. Christ said, well, I'm the resurrection and the life. She goes, I know that we shall be raised up in the last day, but if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And again, I remind you in that text, when they first called for Christ, he wasn't weeks away from where he was. He was only a few hours. Christ could have been there the same day. But he waited three days. He waited until he actually died. He waited until he died. He waited until Martha and Mary and all the loved ones and family members could grieve over his death. He waited until death had done its work. He waited until there was great grievance and sorrow before Christ showed up. And we look at that and we say, that is not merciful. That is not kind. That is not just. What kind of God is that? And that was Martha and Mary. Christians, believers. How do you think the world looks at God's providence like that? I remember when we had the uh, the attack on the towers and the Pentagon and all that years ago. I was sitting in McDonald's. I remember that day clear. I was sitting in McDonald's talking to one of our church members who met me there to just meet together and talk about some situations and issues they had, and I've seen it come up on the TV and McDonald's and everything else, and I remember that, that time, the biggest question in all the news and everything else was, where was God? Where was God? And I, I even the next Sunday preached a message titled, Where Was God? From Jeremiah. That's what men do. Men hate they hate God's providence interfering with the affairs of man. They will not have it, they claim. They don't want it. The divine workings of God's providence towards his own people, though often dark and mysterious, are always for our good. Listen to me, child of God. The divine workings of God's providence towards his own people, though often dark and mysterious, are always for our good. You listen, they're always for our good. They're always working all things together for good to them that love God. The blind man didn't know that. Martha and Mary didn't know that until after Christ had opened their eyes to reveal it to them. And though concerning creation... God displays his good providence in sending rain on the just and on the unjust. You know the verses in Matthew. God's good and merciful. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust. The sun rises on both. In general, God's creation, he does show his good providence. His divine providence still sovereignly governs in the affairs of mankind. Yet not always for their good. Listen to me. Not always for their good. For God's people, it's always for their good. For the wicked, it's not always for their good. 
stay with me a few minutes. I want you to see this. I, I say that because the church, I say the church very cautiously, over the years has betrayed a God to the world that is purely only a merciful and loving and kind God. He would do nothing apparently bad or nothing that would be a tragedy or terrible. Even Job said to his wife, shall we not receive good at the hand of God and evil as well? Not evil and wickedness, but the bad things in life. Should we not receive them both? Even Romans 8.28 refers to a medication mixed with a bad chemical and a good chemical to make it right and good. That's what God does. God takes the bad things in life, good things in life. He mixes them together, and he works them all together for our good. But that's not always the case for the, for the wicked. Oh, he'll send his rain on the just and the unjust in regards to creation. But God, listen to me, God still sovereignly governs in the affairs of mankind. Daniel 2.21 says, He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and he setteth up kings. One of the greatest comforts we should embrace as God's children in these perilous times is God's divine providence. You say, Preacher, it's getting bad out there. I know it is. I mean, people drive up in somebody else's driveway and they walk out the front door and shoot them dead. A woman goes up to a front door not knowing where she's at and the woman shoots her through the front door and kills her. You can't go to the Walmart without looking over your shoulders. I mean, with everything that's going on in this world, everything, I mean, all the, the movements that's going on, all the wickedness against the church, the church is now being blamed for all the troubles and problems in the world. You know that? They're, they're, it's not new, but they're blaming the church. Christians are the problem. Especially those white Christians. They're the problems. That's what they're saying. And so now the world's turning against Christians, and Christians are looking at that saying, well, things are getting out of control, and even in our own hearts and minds sometimes we're going, where is God? God's there where he always was. Still is. And some of our greatest comforts in times like these are God's providence. God's providence. Not just his sovereignty. That is good. Because his providence is done in sovereign power. It's, but his providence that God rules and governs all things. <sighs> Proverbs eight fifteen to 16 says, By him kings reign and princes decree justice. By him princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. By him kings reign and princes decree justice. By him. Psalm 21, 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. His heart is in the hand of the Lord as rivers of water. How's that mean? He turneth it with us every will. He changes, turneth it with us. God's in total control. God is providentially not only watching over his children, but he's providentially interfering in the affairs of mankind, all of mankind. We love it, they hate it. We embrace it, they deny it. We bask in his light, they reject it. And change. That's why I say this is one of probably the most hardest subjects for a Christian for themselves to comprehend, let alone try to explain to those who are without Christ how God is not only sovereign, but his providence is still very active in the world, and that nothing happens by chance or accident in this world, not even to the lost. Do you know that? 
God's not saying, well, I'm watching providentially over my children, whatever happens to the lost. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just accidental and that's just fate. No, God says, I control all things. I don't prov only providentially look over my children. I providentially interfere in the affairs of all mankind as I choose. I'll raise a king up if I want to. I'll bring one down. Like I said, sinful man would seek to exclude God's providence from all human affairs. And this is one of his greatest follies and sinfulness. That man will not include God in the affairs of mankind. I was just looking at the news the other day and one of these big actors, he used to be a politician as well in California, governor as a matter of fact, to probably tell you it is, uh, asking about Christianity, he said Christi Christians are all, I won't use his language, but Christians are all idiots. They're crazy. There's no such thing as God. That's a fantasy. I love this life. I love my riches. I love my power. I love my health. I love my friends. That's life. When you're out of the, when this life's over with, that's it. It's gone. Christians are crazy. They're idiots. That's not just one example. That's a growing opinion of many lost people today. God is still sovereign, and his providence still intervenes in the affairs of mankind, whether he wants to or not. Now, admitted, like I said, sometimes God's providences are very dark and mysterious. It's even hard for Christians to understand why God allows things to happen in their own lives. Sometimes this is the hardest thing in the world when you're seeking to console a lost person about troubles and tragedies in their own lives. Sometimes it's very difficult for us to explain to them that God is still sovereign and his providence is still real. You know what we do in most cases like that? We seek to excuse God's justice. We seek to excuse God's meaning or purpose. Instead of saying, the Lord liveth, Lord taketh, the Lord liveth, giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of God. I know that's very difficult, it's very hard. But I'm telling you, dear beloved, it's, it's hard, if not difficult, if not impossible, to give an unbeliever the comforts we have in Christ. It's impossible. Because without Christ, they cannot know them. And yet we vainlessly try to do that. This has been and will always be a very difficult subject for God's people. Like I said, not only for our own lives, but also in trying to explain that to people that are lost. Scripture sometimes appears to be very harsh, doesn't it, when it comes to things like this. And yet, it's still true. They didn't like Romans 9. They still don't. God loved Jacob and hated Esau. 
Sinful man will always seek to accuse God of being unjust. He's just. And let me let the word of God explain why. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 39 says, Wherefore doth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins. Whatever sinful man experiences in this life has everything to do with his sins. And if he's having trouble and problems and tragedy in life, the source of that is sin. Oh, we like to rename it. We like to give it a title. Oh, it's not, it's not a sin. It's a disease. Sin. It's sin. Oh, well, you know, an alcoholic, is, it's not a disease, or it's not a sin, it's a disease. Alcoholism, no, it's, it's sin. The church has stopped calling sin what it is. That's why uh, the prophet says, Wherefore does a living man complain a man for the punishment of his sins? This, these are the effects of sin. And it's hard for us sometimes to explain that to others because it appears to be so harsh, and so what we do is try to water that down a bit. Make it easier for them to believe it. And over the years, the church has done that more and more. The truth is so watered down, we can't even tell people they're lost because they're sinners anymore. Oh, well, you've got to understand. My child was born a boy, but now he wants to be a girl. This, is, this, is, you know, this isn't a, a sin. This is just, it's generic. This is something that's in his, it's a, it's a DNA. That's what, it's the DNA. It needs to, no, it's, it's sinful to even think that. It's sinful. We don't call it that anymore. You see, the church is quickly going the way of the world when it comes to sin. They're, they're not calling it sin anymore. They're calling it a weakness or a disease or a sickness. It's sin. Job 5 and Job 14 said it. Man is born under trouble. As the sparks fly upward, he's born under trouble. He's born under trouble. Job 14 said, man that's born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He's few of days and full of trouble. It's because of sin. Like I said, let sinful man prosper in his present life, and he will be content in himself. Yet, let the dark providence of God rain down upon his prosperity, and he will despise and accuse God of being unjust, unfair, and without mercy. As long as showing him, as long as God is showing himself merciful and kind to, uh, to all mankind, man is willing to accept God to be anything. He's willing to be content with himself. But let the dark providence of God rain down upon his prosperity, and sinful man suddenly says, it's God's fault. Do you know that whatever God does in this world to anyone or everyone, it will always be just? Scriptures even talk about us not being rewarded for the sins of which we really need to be. You have not rewarded us according to our iniquities. We deserve much, much more. So if sinful man, who is without Christ, who loves the world and loves sin and hates God... When God's divine providence goes against them, they'll raise their fist at God and say he's unjust. God's still just. Let's look at Job 40. I want you to see something that's very interesting with Job's situation. Job chapter 40. When God begins to respond to Job. Look at Job chapter 40. Job was suffering, and Job couldn't understand it either. He was having trouble, difficulties trying to figure out why. 
we all know the story, probably more to it than we'll ever understand in this present life. But uh, this is one of God's response to Job, Job chapter 40, verse 7. Look at that. Oh, well, let's do six. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now, and now like a man, I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Are you saying that my judgment is not right? Are you going to disannul it? Will thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Now take into consideration that everything that came upon Job initially started from God. You remember Job chapter 1? Hey, Satan, have you seen my servant, my righteous servant Job? Man, he's a good guy. God, God just kind of laid it on Satan. So look how good he is. Look how good he is. You don't think God knew what Satan was going to ask? Satan so said, yeah, well, you hedge him up. God said, no, I'll let you have that. So God let him do all this. So God allowed him to do that. God allowed him to do that. Even Job, after all those tragedies were abundant in chapter 1, even Job says in chapter 2, he said, shall we not receive good as well as evil at the hand of God? Job even acknowledges God's hand in this, not Satan. He acknowledged God's hand. This is God. The psalmist said, I was dumb, I was silent because thou dost it, thou didst it. Well, you, you're, this, this, you, you caused this. This is yours. And yet even here in Job chapter 40, God asked, uh, God asked Job, says, you're going to disannul my judgment? Or you condemn me that you may be righteous? The divine purpose and will for this man being blind from birth were hidden from the minds and understanding of the disciples until Christ revealed it unto them. They didn't know. They couldn't see. Just like us, so often we don't know, we can't see, we don't understand. Be very cautious when it comes to tragedy and problems in other people's lives because we do not know what God's divine providence is doing in their lives. We do not know. And if tragedy and problems strike us, let us learn to be silent and learn to kiss the rod. It's often better when considering the often dark providence of God to sit silent. And like lamentations put our mouth in the dust, if so be there may be hope. Just quietly wait on God. Job's three friends did their best the first three days when they didn't say anything. It's when they began starting to declare unto Job that they fell into trouble. Lord, who did sin? This man or his parents? The Lord said, no, neither of them did. This apparent tragedy, this apparent suffering that this man has suffered for years, this being born from blind, born, born blind, this was not an accident or coincidence. This was an act of God. God purposely ordained this to happen so that I might walk by at this distinct time, that I might come by in this distinct time and manifest in him the works of God by giving him his sight back. No, it was long. The wait was long. This man didn't know it. This man wasn't aware to it. This man was blind to it. 
The disciples were blind to it. The Pharisees were blind to it, but not Christ. And until Christ opened their eyes up to it, then they understood it. Just like him. When the Pharisees cast him out, said Christ found him and said, do you believe in Jesus Christ? He said, well, if I saw him, I would. He said, you now see him and you now, and he's now talking to you. He said, now I believe. Let me show you one more amazing truth in this verse in John before we close. Look just out of <clears throat> interest here. Look over in John chapter 8, verse 59, the last verse of John chapter 8. The Pharisees then took they up stones to cast at him. Listen to the wording of this. But Jesus hid himself. I wonder how he did that. Was he like the invisible man? I don't think he hid behind a pillar. Like a coward, it said, but he hid himself. He hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them. Watch this. And so passed by. He hid himself. Going through the midst of them, he passed right by them. But watch in verse 1, chapter 9. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. What a difference. What a difference. Do you see the sovereign grace of God? How he can hide himself, verse 59, from those who don't believe and reveal himself to those that are blind. The, in verse 59, these were Pharisees who claimed to see. As we'll find out later on in chapter 9, he says, if you say you can see, you're blind. He walks right through them. He hid himself. He passed by them. But when it comes to this literally blind man, he stops and gives him sight. You see the wonderful mercy and grace of God. There's a great mystery of God's providence revealed in verse 3 of our text, which we should, as God's people, seriously and humbly consider in our own lives. And may God give us grace to always, always humbly approach the Word of God that we might know something of the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Yes, His judgments are unsearchable as ways past finding out, but by God's grace, He slowly reveals things unto us, and we find great comfort and encouragement, just like in this man here. Christ revealed unto His disciples a mystery of God's providence that was hid from them and the blind man and everyone else, so that they might see that God divinely appointed this man's blindness from birth that he might manifest the works of God in him. Thank God for his gracious providence and grace and mercy. Amen. God is on the throne. He reigns. And though sinful man understands exactly what God's doing, though we understand what God's doing, it makes no difference. He's still God. He's still God. May God give us grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for thy word. We thank you, Lord, for enabling us this morning just to catch a glimpse, Lord, of your divine providence, which is so often mysterious and dark to our finite understanding. We pray that, Lord, you'd help us to understand and believe that regardless of what happens as your children, though that might be dark and mysterious to us, Lord, you work all things to good to them that love you. Lord, we pray that, God, you'd help us to also be, find great comfort in your providence in the sinful world, that regardless if sinful man would seek to exclude you from all affairs 
of sinful man, yet, God, you're still on the throne. You still reign and govern and rule. You raise the kings and you bring them down. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for such comfort and promises. We pray that, Lord, we be encouraged and be being comforted, Lord God, by these divine truths. May you be honored and glorified in all we say and do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.